find in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse, we read from verse 12 going up to 17. Colossians 3 and verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint, against another, forgiving each other as Christ, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed uh, you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly receiving teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, we're going to consider verse 15 and uh, up to 17. And... Uh, we have been going through uh, verse 12, we're now reaching at verse 15. A certain uh, man that I know uh, was about to get baptized and he's thinking about his old life and he's talking about how uh, he used to uh, drink a lot and party with his drinking buddies. Uh, interestingly enough, one of the things that he observed almost immediately in those early days of being a Christian is that in those uh, times when he would be with his drinking buddies, he didn't have to always be the big buyer. Every time he'd be carried along, and they would be able to have as much fun as though he had money as well. The times that he would miss out, he would receive phone calls, finding out why he didn't come, and um, sometimes they would help out with stuff at his home that he needed. Then he became a Christian. He would miss church sometimes in those early days and not even one phone call from believers. So he was beginning to wonder, how is it that the body of Christ, that ought to know better about fellowship and all these things, are the ones who are seemingly uncaring? So he, he did reminisce, reminiscence of those old times when he would uh, be with his old drinking buddies. And you can almost see that that's easily how people begin to slide into their old lives because their, their guys from the, the past life are still there. And uh, believers, uh, apart from the high hello, it, it ends there. And uh, we go to our separate homes, we meet next Sunday. So that was beginning to come to him, but he resolved nonetheless to live his old life. And soon after he got baptized, he moved on to... Lusaka. I hope he's, he's a safe guy in Lusaka. You know, Copa Belt is different, but Lusaka is different. <laughs> Very different. So he's gone to Lusaka, and that's where he, he has moved on. As, as I was sharing that, I'm sure you're beginning to understand and begin to compare 
ourselves with how the world relates with one another. Another friend of mine who works at the private hospital in Lusaka was beginning to consider joining uh, Islam. The reason is that uh, when one of them gets sick, all of a sudden everybody from the whatever it is, I don't know if it's a parish or whatever they call it, they would be one after the other checking on their friend who's unwell. And then he would notice believers as well get admitted. And uh, depending on their status, they wouldn't have so many visits. So they were trying to get into that association. So they had put it on some public forum. And I was telling them, look, uh, Christians have many shortcomings, that's true. But joining any other religion apart from Christianity is saying no to Christ. And you can't live with, with, without Christ the whole of eternity. It's whether you, you are with a bunch of people that have hypocrites with them, people that are caring, don't join people that are, everything is okay but they don't have Christ. Today I was talking about imperatives, about living with one another in the body of Christ. We do need some rules on how we get to live. Paul writes to Timothy saying, I wrote to you that you might know how to deal with each other in the household of, of God. And the household of God, there is people. It's not necessarily a building. How you want to relate one with the other. And here we see that um, in our passage today, it has to do with how we ought to live one with the other. Why a brother who is afflicted must not be neglected. Pray for them, visit, check on them. There's just this oneness in the body of Christ that begins before eternity. And this passage shows us uh, some of the imperatives, the commands that we need to adhere to when and how we need to live one with the other. So in verse 15, we notice the first imperative. The first imperative that comes out here is that let the peace of Christ arbitrating your life. Remember one time when Jesus Christ is, is moving, there's somebody that comes to him and he says, Lord, would you judge between me and my brother? And that's arbitration. He's calling for the Lord to do some kind of arbitration. And, and the Lord is not like one who doesn't know the hearts of men. The Lord can see through our hearts. The Lord immediately knew this is not necessarily about uh, me arbitrating between you and your brother and how you've been unfairly treated. This is about you loving stuff in life. You're too materialistic and the Lord begins to unfold that uh, reality to him. Let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your life. The old word is umpire. So verse 15 says, uh, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule, that word for rule, is the word that we can use as umpire or referee or an arbitrator. It's, it's one which is deciding and governing your life, the peace of Christ. You know what has happened when we have uh, come to Christ is that our sins have been cancelled. We have been forgiven in Christ. Like Romans tells us, the hostility in our minds against God has been removed. And now we are at peace with God because now there's no more fighting in our minds and God. So he says, let the peace of Christ be the arbitrator in your life. That 
is, is to individuals as well as to the whole body of Christ. And you see how these applications come. It's how the, the part or the whole is affected by the part. In Revelation, when Christ writes those letters, he says, let him who has ears, he doesn't say let them who have ears, he says let him who has ears listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. So there's that collective word of counsel coming to the churches, but let each individual apply that in his own life, and that begins to be affecting the whole. As each person begins to have the peace of Christ, peace that belongs, that is possessing of Christ, applied in our life, then we can have peace in the body of Christ. Then that, that thing that we began with, uh, that friend was beginning to wonder how Christians sometimes don't act their profession. The reason is there are some rules to be followed for us to be able to act uh, the way we need to act. So he says, let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts, to which indeed you are called. The gospel is called the gospel of peace. We are called to peace. When we get to um, heaven, or depending on your eschatology, in the millennium, it will be a reign of peace. Christ is reign. Everything is, is at peace. Peace can be des described as a settledness, um, an assurance, a quiet assurance in the spirit. So he's telling the believers, let peace be the umpire in your life. Let peace be the VCR. You know, in uh, football, you see them doing something like this, and they say, and, and it's really helped us in this past World Cup, right? You just do this, say, according to what we've heard, that's not a penalty. And Zambia got saved. And uh, it could have been worse, except for, if, you, if you're not a Man U fan, you, you, your head may have been severe, as who suffered 7-0 and who survived. What is 5-0? Basically saying, that VCR is saying, these are the rules that we are to follow. That's an offside. That is not an offside. Now here we're being told, the peace of Christ rules. When there's the disturbance of peace in your heart, when there's disturbance of peace in a collective body, the peace of Christ rules. The peace of Christ determines that this is not supposed to be like that. So be checking everything out with the peace of Christ. Having been reconciled to God, we have peace. That's what uh, Romans tells us. So the peace of Christ is, is ruling in our hearts and also, it's what we have been called to. Other religions may have what seemingly looks like peace, but it's not. As far as God is not involved in granting that peace to individuals, it's not the peace like Christ says, My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives you. It's a quietness in our hearts. When things are going wrong around us, we are at peace with God because of that initial peace we have with God, we can live it out in the context of the body of Christ. James 4 verse 2 talks about how in the body of Christ, they are quarrels. And then he investigates that matter. He says, where do quarrels come from? 
He also gives us the answer. He doesn't leave us to wonder what the answer is. They come from your heart, waging war about things that you want to have and you're not having. That's what James one, James 4, 1 and 2 talks about. Have you noticed that before horrors erupt, which disrupt the peace that is ongoing, that it's long starts in the heart. Do, do like Paul says, watch your life and doctrine. There's an aspect of how we need to live our lives where we're checking ourselves out. We, we are so good and almost naturally checking everybody else, but we don't check ourselves out. So we need to check ourselves out in as far as peace is concerned. I was about to tell you that if, if you are very observant, before that Sunday morning power starts, it's already started in the heart. Try it next Sunday. There are many quarrels that are sanctified for Sunday, right? You didn't quarrel on Saturday, you quarrel on Sunday. Why? But before that quarrel erupts, do a self-examination. You see, especially if you are the instigator of that uh, quarrel, that it, it went wrong already in the heart before you said the word. So you find something that you can easily say, you know what, I can live with this. I can deal with this. I can overlook this particular error or sin, you want to handle everything. It starts in the heart. And then it says, to which we have been called, notice this, in one body, 10 to Ephesians chapter 4, as we see some similar ideas there, Ephesians chapter 4. What it says is, let's begin at verse 3. You were enslaved to elementary principles of this world, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son out of the woman and under the law to redeem those who were who were under the law that we might receive adoption. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of, of his son into our hearts. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm in the wrong, wrong passage. I'm, I'm reading Galatians. Let's go to Ephesians, which you are already there. Ephesians chapter 4. Then, then begin reading at verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of Christ the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have received and which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one with the other in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Not that. Therefore, in one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope um, that belongs to your call. Verse 3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of what? The bond of peace. And, and in Colossians, this is what we are reading as well, in verse 15. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. It's essential for our unity, for us to, to experience the union of the Spirit that already exists for its maintenance. We need peace, we need humility, but here he's singling out peace how that peace affects the unity of the body. And it says, 
and be thankful. The word for thankful is a word that is called, from which we get the word Eucharist. And we know Eucharist has to do with the Lord's Supper. That's the word that he's using for uh, thanksgiving. And be thankful. John MacArthur says that uh, people that are thankful are always peaceful. Their view of life is that Christ is reigning overall. Whatever you get, you're saying to the Lord, this is not necessarily what I'm expecting, but I'm thankful because it's coming from you. This is what you've deemed fit, therefore I'm thankful. People that are thankful, you find that they are, they are peaceful. These things are connected. The peace of Christ ruin your hearts to which you are called in one body and be thankful. We ought to be thankful about all things because we understand life to be governed by God himself. When Christ rose up from the dead in, in uh, Matthew 28, he says, all things in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples. What, what that is telling us, in case you missed it, is this, that Christ is reigning over all. Like Revelation 1 verse 7 says that he is the prince of the rulers of this world, that everything is taken care of. Christ is reigning above all. So everything that affects the believer as individuals, as the body of Christ, is something for which we get to be thankful for. James tells us that we need to be thankful in our trials. Again, we are thankful. Why? Because Christ orchestrates and demarcates how far these trials are going to be. And for this end goal, we know that, that we might be perfected in the faith. That's what uh, uh, this is about. So we let the peace of Christ ruin our hearts. Peace is not necessarily a subtraction of everything that disturbs us. Peace is actually an assured assurance from your heart, an assurance rather from the heart that God is in control of everything, that nothing happens without his bidding. That's where our peace comes from. So it's not, it's not, uh, it's, it's not the enemy. Yesterday I was watching somebody preach and they were talking about the devil made a mistake when he decided to let you live. Think about that. The devil decided to, the devil was wrong when he decided to let you live at your birth, to live up to this time. Already you can see from whose vantage point they are viewing life. Well, not to undermine anything with the devil's power, he's able to cause a lot of destruction. Revelation says that you come with all the fury upon the children of God. We know about that. But above all that, praise God, Christ is reigning. Christ has everything in control. When Job is attacked in Job chapter 1, he says the Lord gave and the Lord has done all. The Lord has taken you might say Job didn't know about the devil and, and how he was attacked. Actually, the Bible has Job for one important reason, to tell you that God is the one who is ultimately in control. So be, behind Job's um, catastrophe lay the enemy. Behind the enemy was a sovereign God orchestrating everything. 
So Job knows whatever is causing this, he knows at the end of all, it's the Lord who has done it. The Lord who is taken. And it's the Lord who gave. John comes on the scene. John the Baptist comes on the scene. And people are beginning to flock to Christ. And people are going to John and say, Hey, John, your ministry is going down. Do something about it. And John says some very important words. A man can only receive that which is from heaven. That's a powerful statement. That which is from heaven and is meant for you cannot be taken away from you. Again, that's the perspective that God is actually in control. That's what's giving us peace. Let the peace of Christ reign in you. Can you imagine people that live in countries where they don't have outward peace in terms of uh, peace and quiet, but also maybe they have wrong regimes governing them. Can you imagine how they are affected? The church need not be moved because we know that Christ is reigning and he's promised his church, Lord, I will be with you until the end of the age, Matthew 28. Lord, I'll be with you until the end of the age. And, and if you notice what's happening there, the church will continue, Christ will continue his reign, and those that are temporal rulers will continue coming to the end of their reign, and they'll be passing on from the sin while Christ continues reigning. Again, we know that that affects our peace. We're caught into one body. Now, this is not talking about a local church. It's talking about, it has its expression in the local church, but it's talking about the body of Christ. If you look at Ephesians, that's clearly what he's talking about. That all who are Christians have been placed into the body of Christ. We've already seen that in the earlier passages. Again, this has instruction for us in terms of how we relate to other believers that don't see the way we see. Over time, with uh, I think in the recent part we say the eruption of the charismatic movement, the renewal movement that happened, you find that the conservative wing has been pushed on one side and, and the, the non-conservatives are on the other side. But all these belong to the one body of Christ. Have you noticed that? They are all believers in Christ. They have one way of getting saved and they have one spirit indwelling them. The others, of course, are emphasizing some things which the others are not emphasizing. And at some point they need to meet together. What does the Bible say concerning uh, the Holy Spirit? We are in one body. Do you see believers who don't belong to your denomination as believers as well? To those that belong, denominations that don't seem to have all the doctrines uh, fined up in one uh, category. Do you see them as believers? So we've been called to one body. The, the essence of one body, of one building, like we see in Revelation, in Ephesians 4, lends itself to unity. Consider your body, it's one body, right? Imagine if tomorrow you woke up and your eyes were not where they were, but they're functioning. Your eyes are separate. Now I'm not talking about glasses, right? I'm talking about the, the actual eyes. I'm not talking about glasses. So you wake up, your eyes are not where they're supposed to be, but, but they're still part of you. And your legs are not there as well. They're in the closet. Already, 
while you're on the bed, you may not really get the significance of this. But try and do the next thing in the kitchen, right? Or in the bathroom. And your legs are not with you. And your eyes are also on the, on the shelf. One body, right? So the analogy of the one body talks about us being joined together as ligaments to form up this body. We belong together. And this whole idea, again, can be further ex ex extrapolated in terms of uh, the giftings that we have. How that when one body is dysfunctioning, it affects the whole. Again, we can talk about sanctification. Uh, how that one body is not living right, it affects the whole. So you can see that being placed in the body has implications. If there's one thing that ought to mark Christian life, it's thankfulness. How that all our lives, we must be people that are thankful. We must be thankful for life, thankful for what Christ has accomplished, thankful that God has given us another 24 hours. Thankful that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, like the, the psalmist says, there are many, the list is endless. Thankful for the measure of health God has given us. Thankful that we're able to meet in a place where we're not having war. Thankful for all those things. And we are thankful, like I keep saying, because we know that God has a handle on everything. Let the peace of Christ ruin your hearts, in which indeed you are caught in one body, and be thankful. Let that be your state of, of uh, mind. Thankfulness to God. Let that be something that is dominant in your life. So the first thing is, let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your life. And we've gone through a number of those things. The second thing we see is, let the word of Christ dominate your life. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Again, notice this with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Why are we perpetually thankful? Because we understand how life works. We understand how the Christian life works. The only response is that of thanks, because we know that God is working out all these things uh, for a common good. The word that is, uh, these imperatives let also talk about our responsibility. This just doesn't happen. No wonder if you remember that uh, illustration that I began with. Christians don't automatically behave their position. They have to be instructed in the word of God, thus living the way they ought to live. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 9 talks about how with all knowledge, and from there the consequence of living right flows. That's in verse 10. So the word let, uh, that's your responsibility and mine, we're letting the peace of Christ reign. We're letting it arbitrate over our lives. So that all of a sudden, we are not going for those things that are disruptive in nature, those things that affect the body unity, but we're going for peace. Next thing that we see is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that mean? The word for dwell is to find a home is to be settled in the house. In this case, it's settled in the life of a Christian. You don't need to be a practicing theologian to know 
that the word of Christ doesn't come through osmosis, right? And the word of Christ doesn't come just like that. That's why how come you can be a Christian for many years and still not know what the word of Christ is to begin with. And again, that again touches on how Christians will conduct themselves because the word of God is not, or the word of Christ is not dwelling in them richly. The analogy and the picture here is the word of God has found a home in your life. The word of God is dwelling there safely. It says in one placard that home is where you are yourself, right? Let the word of Christ find its home in your life. Have you noticed why Christians don't act the way they want to act? It's a question of verse 16. It's letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. On, uh, I can't remember it was Thursday, on news, I don't know which part that was in Zambia, where a certain mother was arrested because she bent the hands of the son, whose hands transgressed and found themselves in the pot of chicken. So those hands were put in a boiling pot of water. I don't need to know that mother, but I can clearly say the word of Christ is not clearly dwelling in that lady's life. Because if the word of Christ is dwelling in you, when a son does that, it's clear it's not a hand issue or hands issue, it's a heart issue. What we must aim at is the heart. It's not the hand. The, the hands are not a problem. It's the heart. There is one man who uh, I think the Lord used him mightily in the second century and third and fourth century. He decided, because he was Catholic, coming from a Catholic background, he decided this whole struggle of lust. Why am I struggling with lust? So he decided to cut off certain parts that are related to those things. And guess what he discovered? The lust wasn't cured. Now he had other problems, right? What, what that tells you is that the problem is not the physical outside, it's the heart. It's when the word of God comes and invades the heart and becomes at home in the heart, then we can have people living the way they ought to live. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, meaning let the word of Christ find its home. Every department of your life, the word of God has Filled. That's what it means also to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because Paul paints a different picture in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. It says, do not be dominated with wine. Do not be filled with wine, but be filled with what? With the Holy Spirit. How do I know that's the same? Same author, same consequence. says, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the word of Christ dwelling in you and dominating your life is the same thing as the Spirit of God having control of your life. The Spirit that authored this word has control over your life when the word is something that you are adhering to in all the departments of life. And the consequence is the same. It says here, Teaching and admonition. The word teaching is that of positive instruction of the word of God. That's a consequence 
When the word of God has filled you, the consequences you do are you teach and also that you, you teach positively, admonishing that instruction that is negative. Things that you shouldn't do. On the one side, say, this is what you need to do positively. Admonition is, is where there's warning involved. This you shouldn't do. And it's not just teaching, it says, in all wisdom. One of it is, is like Paul says to Timothy that teach with all patience. Why does it require us to teach with all patience, those of us that teach God's word? The reason is simple. As human beings, we don't get it the first time. There's not even one powerful sermon that causes the congregation to move. It's consistent teaching of different ideas from the word of God. As those are beginning to dominate your life, that's why it's important to have a teaching ministry of the word of God. Because... That's when the church begins to be instructed in how they're thinking and also how they're acting because the word of God is the empire, it's the rule that is, that is uh, dominating their lives. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We see this clearly stated in Christ's teaching. How that Christ doesn't aim at only what is being asked him he aims at the heart of the matter. That's what we need to do as well. It's not just that people are, are unsanctified, therefore we are correcting every offshoot of unsanctification or unholiness. It's that we are aiming at the root, right thinking. And the word of God embedding the mind, embedding the heart, will inevitably result in how we are thinking correctly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. When the word of Christ dwells in you, the consequence is that of teaching. The other consequence is that of singing. It begins to come out from you. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Again, this is in the context of the body. Just a quick word on these psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Singing psalms it's from the, the Hebrew Psalms that we, we get this idea from. It's, it's the Psalms, the literal Psalms as we know them. That's where we, 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 we do our singing from, but also we are instructing one another, both in admonition as well as in teaching through singing. That's why it's important to have songs that have meaning, songs that are filled with didactic ideas, teaching from the Word of God expressed through song. So the Psalms is like, you know, from the book of Psalms, the Sorter, the Hebrew Sorter, that's when uh, the Psalms are springing from hymns. This we might be familiar with. It's an expression of songs that are praising to God because of who God is, because of who God uh, has blessed, that's his son, but also what God has accomplished through his son. Spiritual songs are testimonies of songs that are coming out of an experience with God, whether it's in salvation, whether it's in Christian living, they are all coming out as spiritual songs. Here's a question. Why is it that uh, as years are going by, we are beginning to look back and see the nice biblical content songs were written back then? Have you wondered about that? When was the last time that you heard a song that is recent and has biblical content? 
Look for what passes as gospel songs today. It's about Nshakala Chula. It's about, I used to be poor, now I'm not poor. I, I used to have uh, one meal, now I'm not having a meal. Yes, God accomplishes all that, no quarrels with that. But that's not the essence of it. Look at the hymns that we've been singing. Now, an indictment to the evangelical church, that's all of us here, is why are our hymns only ancient? Where are the modern hymns? If it says here that teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, the idea there is not only things that were written back then. How do I know that? Well, when they were writing the book of uh, Philippians, there's a hymn that was popular, Philippians 2, verse 16. Philippians 2, verse 16. may have marked out in Roman, but let me, let me try and read it nonetheless. It says, holding fast to the word of life, so that the day of Christ, I may be proud that I may run, I, I did not run the rest in vain and labor in vain. That's, that's not what I'm looking for, but in, uh, in Philippians, one of the verses, which is 16, unfortunately I can't find it, he quotes from a hymn that was current in their day, we also see this in, uh, in Timothy where it talks about that Christ is the mediator between God and man. Again, that's a hymn that they used to sing. A number of these hymns we sang today were, were written in the 1600s, in the 1700s, and the 1800s. There's been some movements that have come in the recent past, and the Lord has blessed those movements. And that's how you can know whether a movement is a movement of the Spirit or not. Calvary Chapel. From which we get, uh, we got uh, the songs. For those of you that that are that are, that are older, the Maranatha Gospel singers come from that background. There was this Jesus movement uh, awakening happening. Others have called it the revival, but more of an awakening. And people began to sing contemporary songs as they were being filled with the Holy Spirit. Songs begin to come out of them, and we sing the Maranatha songs. We we listen to those. At least we used to listen before Pompey came about, right? Today is the day of Pompey and the others. Uh, no quarrel with that guy, but back then, there were these songs that were coming out. From that movement came another movement called the Vinyan Movement. And, and if you see all their songs, they are on psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And the question is, why has that stopped? Could it be that the Spirit of God is not dominating our lives? Could it be that the Word of God is not dominating our thoughts? Where are the poets in our church that are writing songs that are glorifying to God, talking about what God has accomplished in His church, talking about spiritual experiences with God? Where are those songs that are at the end of it all lining up with the Word of God? We're not just saying we refuse poverty, we refuse these things, and at the end of it all we say gospel song. Absolutely not. There are many songs that have been written and passed for gospel songs which don't have any gospel song gospel content in them. So he tells us singing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. Now that, that has been on my mind, and I'm thinking, in many places, 
There are a few places where they're doing this, where they're writing songs that are current, songs that are carrying the grace of God in them. You can see that this is about God himself. And here's how you can know whether a song is from God or not. It's Christ being exalted. Yesterday I was talking to somebody who came from Uganda. That's where people are going these days, in case you didn't know. They've, they've moved from West Africa. If you came from Uganda, I know Bakakoma comes from Nigeria. He's, he's fair. It's a different case for him. They're going to Uganda. And they're asking all sorts of funny, wrong questions. Questions which you can just see Bishop Sheva here and, and he can explain to you, or Bishop Kambale there. And I'm using Bishop because of you, sir. <laughs> my Nigerian brother has really drummed this Bishop thing in my heart. Thank you. Thank you. And some of these do look like bishops, right? So they're going to Uganda, they're asking questions, why am I not married? I mean, you have an air ticket, go and ask that question. Think about it. They always reason, maybe that relationship didn't work, the other relationship didn't work, and that's the reason that you're not married, right? You don't have to go and ask some spiritual man to tell you why you're not married. And inevitably, it has to do with somebody in the family. Doesn't that look familiar? It does, right? And uh, at the end of it, all people are, are delivered from things that they ought not to be delivered from. Oh, man of God, I have people that are troubling me in church. Isn't that every church that there are people like that? People that are not filled with the Spirit of God and causing disruption. Isn't that every church? And you buy a ticket, you go to Uganda. Why not so into the ministry of preachers here in Zambia? Instead of buying that air ticket, right? So they go to this Ugandan man. When I first saw him, I wasn't impressed with how he looked. So immediately I had all this suspicion. But I said, okay, that's not enough. Because there are some men of God that don't look Christ-like, right? But they are, they, are, they are really genuine servants of God, right? Maybe some of you are even saying, you're one of them. <laughs> God have mercy upon you. So I looked at him, listened to what he said, and I saw every red flag. That all these Zambians are not seeing. The red flag is this. Servant of God makes a big deal of who Christ is. Forget about who the servant of God is. It's at, at the end of it all, you know that you have a big Christ that forgives sin. People are buying. So one of my friends went to that place. So I said, why did you go there? What were you seeing? He said, no, I just went to go and hear and see for myself. We have to be polite. So I didn't say, you wasted your money. So we're going back and forth and saying, if you observe carefully, he'll tell you details about your life that are actually true to show that he is a great one of some sort. If you are filled with the Spirit of God and you're being dominated with the Spirit, you can tell who is Who's also filled with the Spirit and who's not? And you can tell when it's a suspicious spirit at work. People are flying to Uganda and, and, and there's this caboto of water that is being sprayed on them. And uh, it's all these things that were happening back then in Zambia where some people that would be in a funny heart, in a discreet location, 
You have to travel, you start walking, you go and see there, at least from what I've heard, not from experience. And then, as you are approaching, I'm told you have to face the opposite way. As you are arriving, it tells you why you're there. And, and it's clearly not a servant of Christ. But today you have people that are behaving almost the same way, but they're adding the name of Christ to that. Servant of Christ makes big deal of Christ, his power, and his glory. That's the emphasis there. So these people are going there to seek all these wrong things. Some of them are being given abilities to come and succeed in business. If you watch uh, some of the Zambian channels, you see one of the adverts says, Now, these people are not just putting my funny posters out there. They're now on TV and social media, right? While churches are quarreling about, should, should we have a YouTube channel or not? The, the Shingangas are all over on YouTube these days. So on one of these adverts, it says, it can help you win court cases. I was very interested. I wonder how that works. Court cases, and uh, when we're approaching election, guess what's on the list as well? Win an election. And all these things are added there. And now we have spiritualized this thing. I'm of the idea that some of these guys are not just wrong charlatans. Like those, and I emphasize, distant relative. Who was a troublesome guy from the time he was young? Never got to meet him. Uh, but those that met him, he was just doing all sorts of things, even as a teenage guy. So at some point he grew up and started masquerading as a witch doctor. And there were a lot of demands for chicken, right? Consultation fee was the chicken, until one of the relatives went and told him off and said, stop eating people's chickens. That's how he sort of repented and relocated. And his life ends up bad because he ends up being bent in Lusaka when he relocated to Lusaka. For him, no spiritual things were involved. That's the point I'm driving. But the other things or the other individuals who are using spiritual powers, they can tell you what you had for breakfast. They can tell you what's in your fridge. Think about it. Can the Spirit of God do that? What's in the fridge? Spirit was concerned about apples and tomatoes, right? Even just a little or half thinking should be able to help us be discerned. And back, back to our text says, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. The emphasis there is not singing with right tunes. Now, that's also not to excuse wrong tune. If we're doing it for God, it ought to be on point, right? Like, like I say, one day all of us will be glorified and our voices will be soprano and, and other. If you want to maintain tenor, you can still do that. But nobody will be singing of key in heaven. Here the point is that singing that is coming from the heart, singing psalms and hymns with spiritual songs, Thankfulness in your heart to God. Again, we see that the consequence of the word of Christ dominating in our life, it results in singing. 
spontaneous singing that is coming out from us, but guided by the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. John Calvin commenting on the same says, it's singing that is acceptable, singing that has a grace to it, that demonstrates a Christian quality to it. That's what this is about. The thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then it goes on to the last imperative. And be thankful to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The first two imperatives have to do with let the word of Christ dwell in you. The other one is let the peace of Christ dwell in you or dominate your life. The third part is let everything be mediated through the authority of the Lord's name. Everything that we do, in word or deed, for us is nothing like sacred and, and secular. Everything is sacred for the Christian. Everything is sacred. Everything is done to the Lord and, and, and through Him. So let's do that first part that says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As you know, because of what happened in, uh, in the Garden of Eden, we can't approach God by ourselves. There are people that don't know themselves. They think they, they don't need Christ. They're just good enough to approach God. No reality one day will dawn on you when you stand before Christ that you're actually sinful, that all your righteousness was as filthy rags in the sight of God. That's all the good works that believers do or non-believers do are like filthy rags in the sight of God. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything, all things, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in the name of the Lord. We give thanks in the name of the Lord. And we do everything, because everything is sacred, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So the mediation is Christ. We're going through Christ to God. That's why it's a sad thing to see a number of religions that don't afford Christ or that don't defy authority to Christ have so many people supposedly worshipping God but they're not because we go to God through him there's one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus that's how we go through to through him to God you and me cannot go to God on our own Paul talks about how that everything in prayer is yea and amen in whose name? Christ's name. You and me are accepted before Christ, are accepted before God because of Christ. We are in Christ, therefore we have been accepted. Do you sometimes wake up and don't feel safe? Whatever that feeling is, it, it happens, right? Be assured that God has a favorable disposition to you because you are in Christ. It's not because you sin that God doesn't look at you favorably anymore. Fellowship is, is maintained in Christ and fellowship is sustained through Christ. First John uh, chapter 1. Whatever you do, Christians are not just word people, the things that we say. We don't just say things. We are also practical Christians. Remember where we began from as we begin to end? That that non-believer going with his drinking buddies 
They seem so caring more than the caring believers. No, it should be the other way around. Because we are in one body. We know when one person is afflicted, we also are getting affected by that. She says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the him there is, is Christ. As we conclude. We may not just live the way we want to live. There are rules for us to live the Christian life. Have you ever wondered why you've gotten saved? You're thinking of giving your life to Christ again. And yet the issue is, maybe you're even thinking of being delivered. I think what you may need is sanctification through the process of the work. Now, I'm not saying you can't get entangled with the enemy. It talks about that in Ephesians 4 verse 30. How that we can give a foothold to the enemy, right? And when the enemy gets a foothold in the life of a Christian, that can affect a believer's life. You can get hooked up on the wrong things. So here, we, we are told that let the word of Christ dominate your life. Let our thinking no longer be just who we are. You never know. No, absolutely not. It's not how we are. Now it's what the word of God instructs us to do. That's what dominates our lives. So as we conclude, here's how we can live the Christian life. It's by getting the word of God to dwell in us richly. And having the peace of Christ rule, determine how things ought to be in our lives. Always on the side of the peace of Christ. That's what it means to let it rule in our lives. Are you an unbeliever? All these realities cannot be applied to you. You can come to Christ. This one whose love is so unexplainable. This one whose love is, is like a fountain. This one whose heart of forgiveness is unimaginable how Christ forgives. Bring the Lord of sin that you have to Christ and he will forgive you. Doesn't matter what you have done. Christ's mercy is greater, far greater than your sin. Think about your life of sin in terms of a huge rock that, that you have created. And think about the mercy of Christ as an ocean. Where you drop that rock of sin in the mercy of Christ. And, and it's, it's, it's completely taken care of. Imagine what heaven will be like when we have been forgiven. That's what uh, we thought of sharing today uh, from God's word. May these imperatives be obeyed in our lives. What difference Christian churches would be if they are dominated by the word, if the peace of Christ rules their lives, if everything is mediated through the person and power of Christ. May the Lord add a blessing to his word. Amen. Thank God for the uh, wonderful preaching from God's Word. Um, at this point, I just invite us to prepare our minds, even as we respond to the preaching by way of singing a song. And we are going to sing, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Shall we rise to our feet and sing this great hymn?